Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So we've taken our next step in this infinite journey of enlightenment. A series of events have taken place that has brought us to where we are right now. This is the most important time of our lives. It's in this very moment which exists prior to a thought that we have the potential to be. Being exists in this moment, in this time, and knowing, seeing, feeling, and experiencing all that there is right now. Stay tuned as Ron Ash teaches how to locate our special gift, connect with spirit, and intentionally create our experiences. Welcome to Being with Ron Ash. I'm Ron Ash, your host. We are local, national, and international on great stations worldwide for a complete list of our affiliates and showtimes. Please visit beingwithronash.com. Today's guest is Chris Curson, actor and uh, also a producer, correct, Chris? Sure, I produce films as well. That's right, Ron. Yeah, yeah. Powerful film. Uh, we had an interview a while back. I think it was... Uh, uh, what, what would you say that, that I was in Florida at the time, boy? Uh, I would say it was probably a week or two before May twentieth when the film originally premiered in theaters, Ron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great interview. I was able to get my hands on the film before the interview, and I was blown away. Knocked my socks off. It was awesome. Um, I have to say, since we're speaking of having my socks knocked off. Last night, I had a dream. You did, and it's not. Okay. I'm not going to go into the whole, you know, uh, Martin Luther King stuff. So don't worry about that. I had a dream that I was in a line. Several people I didn't know. I got to the end of the line, and then in front of me was a long desk with about three or four people. One of them I recognized. In the dream, but I do not know who that person is. But in the dream, that person that I knew 
was one of the people judging, I guess, for the auditions. I've never been on an audition. I've never acted in a film. Never been on a TV program. Um, yet, here I am. I'm in a line. And I'm auditioning. And we had a little bit of fun with it because we knew each other, you know. So I kind of went right into it. And uh, after it was over, I walked out of the building. And lo and behold, was a mutual friend of ours, Deborah Robinson, wearing some green sweatpants or exercise pants of some sort. And I didn't really speak to her. I kind of like moved moved on uh, with my travels. And then that, that was pretty much it, the end of the dream. Now, I remember... I remember today that Tanya Melendez, who is usually a regular guest on Thursday night, couldn't make it because she was picking her daughter up at the airport in Spain. And lo and behold, guess who shoots me a message on Facebook? Christopher Curson himself, talking about Cost of a Soul, now streaming on Netflix. Well, there you have it. I didn't know Deborah was bouncing around in either of our unconscious, but I guess she is. <laughs> well, I think it was the connection. The, col- gotcha. the, col- the color green, I have to say uh-huh. green is prosperity. Wherever you see green, you know, whether it's, you know, a, a, a bountiful harvest, you know, lots of money, whatever that may be, green is usually a very positive thing. Gotcha. Always been my favorite color too. There you go. Love the green. Love the green. So, uh, you played an important, an incredible role. I was very impressed with your abilities. I have to say, don't blush on me or anything. But I said to myself, when I saw you, I said, this is a very critical film for Chris Kirsten's career. Powerful. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, it, it, you talk about all the synchronicities you line up for you and me to be talking on this show. You know, there was a lot of synchronicities involved in me getting cast in Cost of the Soul. You know, I, I um, coming down to working some part-time job opposite an actor that I did a film prior to with and him recommending me for Cost of the Soul and if people stream the film now on Netflix, they'll see that I was originally supposed to play the role of Jake in the film. I was the Irish gangster in the film. And okay. I I had called Sean Kirkpatrick up. I had read about half the script, and I got as far as this hyperbaric chamber scene that you can see on my website now, chriscurson.com, C-H-R-I-S-K-E-R-S-O-N.com, or in the film itself on Netflix. And I got to the scene between... Tommy Donahue, the lead character, mm-hmm. and the child, the child, and I was like, I have to play this part. Yeah. I called Sean up, called Sean up, and Sean was like, Well, I really want you for this Irish gangster character because he'd seen all these character work I'd done before, you know, on Facebook on reels and stuff, and thought I could, you know, take a dialect on and play this part, and uh, I went through a real disciplined kind of prayer and meditation practice before that audition, even though I really wanted to play Tommy, the lead. I auditioned for Jake, and when Sean saw the audition, his response was, I see more humanity coming across in your audition than anybody I've seen by far. How do you feel about playing the lead in the film? And I said, yeah, I would love to play the lead. And 
uh, the humanity, I don't know if I take credit for, I take credit for maybe just that connection I had to what I was connecting to, you know, for the audition. And uh, Sean came to New York and he screen tested myself and uh, the actress who became my wife in the film, Judy Jerome from the actor's studio. Mm-hmm. And, um, and gave me three weeks notice and said, I need you to become a physically bigger guy, but I want, I want you to play this part. And in those three weeks, I gained 25 pounds. And uh, Judy got cast about a week before we were supposed to shoot as my wife. And Mark Bukowski, who's one of my best friends and one of the best writers of the Actors Studio, uh, became Jake, the part that I originally auditioned for. So I was working alongside two of my best friends in this process. And what happened in that film was it went from a $100,000 independent film that was shot in 19 days to being the, the widest theatrical release of an ultra-low-budget SAG film in the history of film. Uh, it premiered in 50 AMC theaters across the country, and Relativity Media picked the film up. And we didn't have a lot of running time. It's so funny how you and I were even introduced because, I mean, we found out like six weeks before it was going to be in the theaters that it was coming to the theaters. Mm-hmm. So usually, you know, you're seeing you're seeing trailers now for Batman. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so it's like this idea of like, I just get a call from Sean Kirkpatrick one day. There was a contest where they were trying to pick the better independent film of the year that did not have distribution yet, and Relativity picked us. And Sean's like, yeah, we're going to be in the theaters in like six weeks. And it was like, definitely, it appeared at the time, my whole life was changing very quickly. So you're right to say, yeah, you know, it, was, it was definitely one of the most important things that had ever happened in my acting career thus far. Yeah. You know? I, I recognized it immediately. I, I also was very impressed with the actor who played D.D. Uh, D. Davis. Oh, right, right, right. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, Will Blagrove. And, you know, Will's um, Will's in the latest James L. Brooks film. He's doing well in Hollywood right now. I, mm-hmm. I think Will could become, God willing, the next Will Smith. You know, he's he's got everything going so well for him. Mm-hmm. You know? What was it that really allowed you to immerse yourself in this character? Because I could not help but see something in you enables you to become Tommy Donahue. I think the the the, the main well, the, I can talk about the process. I mean, I mean, what allowed me to be the actor I am is you know studying with acting teachers like Charlie Lawton, who's Al Pacino's mentor, and, okay. and Marsha Halfrecht from the Actors Studio back here in New York, and uh, you know spending all these years cutting my teeth on off and off off Broadway plays and small films and going up and down sixty five pounds to play characters in my career, and a, a lot of the films you know went unrecognized but just Mm -hmm. constantly cutting my teeth and then here's sean coming along and he's got one of the better scripts i've ever read and he's he's written the ultimate character for a male lead to play Mm -hmm. and he's and he's saying you know i want you to do this so what happened was sean and i dialogued on the phone a lot we met in philadelphia briefly uh i i spent a lot of time with uh iraqi vets here Mm -hmm. In that three weeks, uh, one in particular, Brian Fuller, was working at a, a kickboxing gym that I was working out in to get in shape for the film, and he talked to me. Sean had me train with some ex-Marines on a lot of the tactical stuff that was involved in the film. Sean kept saying to me, I want you to... Uh, the most thing, most important thing he kept saying was that you take on the emotional life of the character. But because of my training with Charlie and, and 
Marsha, I, I wasn't concerned about that. I knew that I would. And, yeah. You know, people people around me at the time were aware that people who were very close to me at the time were aware that my energy was definitely very different during that time. I mean, mm-hmm. Tommy was a tough place to go because there was so much resentment and so much hatred in this character. Um, and yet, at the same time, I, I was the most spiritually disciplined I've ever been on a set, on a set with uh, prayer and meditation mm-hmm. and uh, trying to stay light so I could stay loose and kind of go in and out of what I had to for that character. And Sean created an environment where he really essentially did not want me to step out of character too much. He, he saw what I was doing and encouraged mm-hmm. that I stay Tommy Donahue, you know, yeah. for the four, three, three, four weeks that we were filming. And I, you talk about your dreams of Deborah Robinson. I mean, I don't want to say that I, I can really say that I'm on the level of any Iraq vet because, you know, what they've gone through, all I can do is give homage to them. But I was having dreams while we were filming during that time period, I was waking up thinking like I had just been in combat or where I yeah. was or like it, it, it just moved so deeply into my unconscious during that time that, that, uh, you know, the performance was, uh, some people said, cause I know you guys use it on your show. It was channeled, you know, it was yeah. really, it, it was really channeled from my higher mm-hmm. power and it was channeled, yeah. it was channeled from Sean's writing and direction. So, yeah, where did Sean come up with this story? Sean Kirkpatrick is an interesting guy. He, you know, his father is a, 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 a police officer, I think now retired, uh, in the Philadelphia Police Department. And Sean is like, you know, blue-collar Irish mm-hmm. kid from Philadelphia. He grew up outside these areas. He had to work setting up surveillance cameras in all the worst areas of Philadelphia at one time and, okay. and had to carry a gun while he was doing that. When he got out of Philadelphia to go to L.A. to become to work in the film industry, and he worked as a PA on different sets, he started writing this story in 2007 because Philadelphia was the murder capital of the United States during that time. And uh, Sean wanted to make a comment about the violence that he was seeing in Philadelphia, and also, uh, you know, what are the fates of these vets that are coming back? You know, to what? You know, from from a war environment, a lot of what she was reading about were getting killed back home side. You know, mm-hmm. in situations, and and um, you know, I, my first reaction when I saw the violence in the script, I said, "Is this an embellishment?" I'm from New York. I don't think New York is the easiest town to get around in anymore, except that Giuliani did a lot to clean it up. But I mean, yeah. I was like, there's a, "There's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of violence in the script," and I and I and I was introduced to the Kensington area by Mark mm-hmm. Bukowski, who's from Philadelphia, who plays Jake. And in that time period, uh, I was introduced to a lot of people who had shot people, been shot, been in prison, on their way to prison. I mean, I was in, introduced to real low-bottom case people. Mm-hmm. And I, I started to realize that what Sean's depicting in this film is not an embellishment. It's really a statement. Yeah. You know? And you know, it's not even in bad parts of Philadelphia or bad parts of New York or bad parts of D.C. I live in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. I have it here. I happen to be working in a realm that was very contingent upon these types of people coming into my life on a regular basis. And many of the people that I knew and many of the people that I had as customers in my retail store, I had a, a high-end aftermarket auto accessory store. We sold uh, large wheels 
entire packages. There are a lot of people that you would see on the news with their vehicles being taken by the feds. And you would say, whoa, that is one of our customers and, and, and murderers that you didn't know were in your presence. And it was getting to be kind of a, you know, a scary thing. I mean, I was threatened many times, and this was just like, you know, my store was really in the suburban area. But we were very close to the city, and, and uh, it was pretty big. So a lot of people from, you know, the various cities would come in, and uh, I had no idea. We had one of the uh, uh, heads of the Latin Kings. I had no idea. Nicest guy mm-hmm. you ever want to meet. Had no idea he was involved in any of this stuff until I started in the paper. My kids were playing with his kids. His wife was very nice. <laughs> you would never know, you know, but you get conditioned to believe that, you know, these things happen in just these very urban places, and they don't. That's not the case. It's uh, it's around us uh, more often than not. I think Will Blagrove, you know, during the interview process leading up to the film, really tackled that subject because he was from Queens, mm-hmm. and and he talked about how, a lot of people in the audiences, because we showed this film when we originally premiered it in San Jose and uh, in CineQuest Film Festival out there. And and there were inner city kids from San Jose who came in to see the film, mm-hmm. and they had the same response to it. You know, like, it was a real universal message about kind of what uh, I think, unfortunately, kids are growing up with today and yeah. the options that they have, especially on the flip side of the story and the African-American side of the story that deals with, you know, with uh, Will's character, Dee Dee's, you know, plight, you know, mm-hmm. he, and his brother, you know, his brother wanting, you know, the bling bling and the money and, yeah. and everything that he, that he wants and the lifestyle he wants and how standing on a street corner, you know, swinging when he's swinging is going to get him yeah. there, you know, yeah. and, 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 uh, you know, both these characters, uh, took what seems to be sometimes an outlet, you know, for people in that lifestyle, which is they're going in the military to get out of it. But the the whole theme of the film is that the war zone in Iraq would have been enough, but when they get back, they're immediately put back into the, the lifestyles and the mm-hmm. neighborhoods that they were in before, and they're no they're no better, they're probably worse than they were before, and they're back in these lives of crime again, you know? Yeah, yeah. They get um, kind of sucked back into it. And it's true yeah. to life. It is true to life. Because I have always found myself to be in the position where I want to help with this transition. Help with the transition. In most cases, it wasn't from a war zone back home and then back home again. It was from prison to making a living in a different way. Getting away from the stealing, from the drugs. Um, I mean, you know, uh, drug use and you know, the sales of uh, uh, illicit substances, I would take people from prison that I knew and I felt that I had uh, a chance of really, you know, putting on the right path, giving them an opportunity, teaching them some skills, bringing them into my business. But, Chris, it was just a matter of time for most of them. Some of them, you know, they didn't go back. But most of them would see the friends that they hung around with coming in and dropping four or $5,000 on their Mercedes-Benz or BMW and always a one that was almost brand new and they're over in some kind of jalopy and they're getting dirty putting wheels and tires on cars after a while they're not coming in anymore you know they're coming in late and then sooner or later they're just back in that same thing again 
They just can't seem to see the opportunities, and there's so many more opportunities out there, but they, they have adopted a very limited belief system. If I want to have this, I need to do that. And that is really, that's the downfall. That's what we really need to uh, move away from. That's why we really need to develop programs to help these guys. And it could be any of us. It's no fault, uh, really, but it's it's an environmental thing. Uh, They've had, I've seen them from very young and and progressing into this. Uh, A lot of them didn't have, you know, parents there that were, um, supportive in any ways, um, you know, whether it's even to a roof over your head, food in your stomach, or some kind of a, a connection, it, advice, or, you know, any type of help at all, and then they find themselves in these situations, and they just kind of get caught up in the vacuum. Well, we're going to have to yeah, take they're... a quick quick break. We'll be back. We'll uh, talk a little bit more about that uh, after the break. Uh, Chris Curtis, it's Cost of the Soul, um, streaming on Netflix, Netflix. <laughs> As we speak, we'll be back in a few. Hold tight. Have you ever wished you could talk to the animals? The pet psychic can facilitate the communication between you and your animals on Earth as well as those who have crossed over. Join the Pet Psychic on the Being Talk Radio Network. Communicate with your pets, past and present, through the abilities of the Pet Psychic. Are you interested in promoting yourself, your business, or your platform? If so, you should contact RMA Associates for the most cost-effective ways to promote what you do. RMA has over 25 years of experience helping their clients grow while meeting the challenges of an ever-changing market. Email RMA today at rma.associates at yahoo.com for more information. Again, that's rma.associates at yahoo.com. Thinking about buying a new or pre-owned vehicle but don't want to go it alone? Contact an automotive buyer's representative instead. R.I. Wheels Buyer's Representatives will save you hundreds or even thousands on your next purchase of a new or pre-owned vehicle. To learn more, email riwheels at aol.com for a free no-obligation consultation. That's riwheels at aol.com. Never drive away thinking you paid too much. Experience the power of being. Join author and intuitive life counselor Ron Ash on an infinite journey of enlightenment. Being explores the various modalities associated with self-help and spirituality. Master divine guidance. Connect to source energy and expand your consciousness. For a complete list of our affiliate stations and showtimes, visit beingwithronash.com. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine is the perfect resource for those seeking a healthy, natural lifestyle. In every free monthly publication, you'll find practical, cutting-edge information on natural health, nutrition, personal growth, green living, creative expression, and more. Find Natural Awakenings wherever free magazines are found. Read it online at rinaturalawakenings.com or call 401-709-2473. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine. Learn how to connect with spirit and create the life of your dreams. 
Purchase the complete Ron Ash collection and save 45% now. Get the Apostles' Recipe for Happiness, Breaking Through, Being, and the Secret of Divine Intervention today for only $30. That's $25 off the retail price. Make your life-expanding purchase today at beingwithronash.wordpress.com. Again, that's beingwithronash.wordpress.com. Do you have a special gift that you'd like to share with the world? Then consider broadcasting your message on BTRN. The Bean Talk Radio Network is local, national, and international broadcasting with powerful programs that enlighten minds and change lives. BTRN hosts are passionate about purpose, motivating listeners to confidently move forward in the direction of their dreams. To host a show on BTRN, call 401-640-GIFT. Become a part of the Bean Talk Radio Network today and contribute to positive change tomorrow. We are BTRN, the Bean Talk Radio Network. Informative, intangible, honest, conductive to elements that align the body, soul, and mind to listen to conscience. Are you aware? InnerCirclePublishing.com Peterson and Rainbow, you are being with Ron Ash and Christopher Curson uh, this evening. We're talking about cost of a soul. We actually went into a couple of different things. We talked about a little bit about how our higher self spirit communicates us uh, different things via our dreams, our feelings, our emotions. Talked about uh, what led up to this interview this evening. And um, also a little bit about the transition, uh, whether it's from prison to regular society or from war, as in the movie Cost of a Soul, where uh, Tommy Donahue and D.D. Davis return home from the Iraq uh, war to the slum neighborhood they grew up in, and this is a very difficult uh, thing for them. They want to maintain um, at the level they are right now without getting sucked back into the old. But in most cases, whether it be coming from prison or coming from war, we are brought from a place of structure to a place of no structure. And then we are just kind of let loose. And I have some personal experiences with a uh, relative of mine who exactly that happened. He was in structure. He's in the service. Um, coming back from actually Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, and kind of just he was done. They dropped him off, and that was it. He had all this time on his hands, and guess what happened? It was not very long that the addiction that he succeeded to fight for many years uh, 
came back and really kind of, you know, knocked his socks off and brought him back into a world that he thought he had long left behind. Yeah, the, the thing, you know, I had I had the first screening of the film uh, in Cinequest, I had a, a very spiritually conscious woman there. She's, a, she's by all intents and purposes, she's a sannyasin, she's a monk. Mm-hmm. And when she saw the film, especially the ending, which has been kind of controversial, um, she she talked about karma. Mm-hmm. You know that I mean everybody who who perpetrates violence in this film or takes uh, some sort of action, you know that's selfish or violent or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, lands up pretty much by the course of the film dealing with the karma of their actions yeah. pretty quickly. You mm-hmm. know. Um, uh, nobody, nobody's waiting around in the next lifetime to kind of deal with it, you know. And uh, and and the film is very much about that. I mean, when you're talking about the backgrounds, you know, Tommy Donahue, you know, uh, Sean had written books on Tommy Donahue, uh, mm-hmm. and I asked him if I could have all these notebooks to read, but most of it was from him talking stream of mouth and some stuff that he sent me via email, maybe ten pages about him. And the the lifestyle Tommy Donahue grew up in was a mother that had you know, died mm-hmm. in front of him. They wanted it to be pretty shocking. So he died in front of him in, in a crime, and then his father was a criminal. You know, the, yeah. the, these guys are like the equivalent of the, what, we, what we would know in New York as the Westies. You know, yeah. Irish gangsters, very sexualized, and and he grew up in that environment, and he actually goes into the Marines to get out of that environment, and then he comes back from the Marines, and he has, you know, left estranged this daughter... Mm-hmm. didn't know because his wife was pregnant when she when, yes. when he went into the Marines and, and when he gets back out and he goes to see this daughter which he's not so sure he wants a relationship with there she is and she's handicapped and his wife's been you know doing what she's doing which is taking money from the criminals that he used to deal with mm. to, to keep up a, a lifestyle for the child yeah. and for herself and so he's back in that life again it's so it's really it, what was amazing about it and what I what I appreciated, and I'll let the viewers decide when they see it, is that a lot of people upon seeing the film, I and mean, I was the anti-hero in the film. I was conceivably on script the bad guy or one of them, you know, and yeah. and yet people seeing his situation, seeing what the character went through, and, and God willing, me trying to plug in that through line about how much he cares for his daughter, and that's kind of forcing his hand. Yeah. People land up saying that they do root for the character in the course of the film and, and very much feel for him, especially towards the end and what happens to him towards the end of the film, you know. And uh, and that's what I was hoping for is, is you were talking about these environment and circumstances and yeah. he's born into these circumstances that this just it's just his it unfortunately it appears to be his Dharma that he can't he can't get out of those circumstances. Yeah. You know, so he's doing the best he can and the one aspect of good in his life is how he's providing for this child and trying to be the father to this child. And, you know, I don't want to give too much of the film away, but I, I hope people will find that compelling. Some people said that one of the strongest parts about the film is the relationship with the child because Maddie Jones, who plays uh, Hope in the film, uh, yeah. you know, so is a fantastic little actress and she yeah. was nine years old when she did the film and she has cerebral palsy like the character was written mm-hmm. to have cerebral palsy and she just I mean she does some of the best acting of any actress I've ever worked mm-hmm. opposite of in this film you know so 
there's a lot of there's a lot of elements to show. I think besides the fact that we're talking about, as you said, these people get involved in a life of crime or something because that's the yeah. life that came from a new. Uh, this this character and the reason why he appealed to me was that he was so well rounded that you could mm-hmm. see both light and dark in him, you know. Yeah. And, and I wanted to, I wanted so badly, as I told Sean when I read the script, to represent that, you know, to, to have a chance to play that, you know. Mm-hmm. So. And he wanted to come out of it. He really did. And he wanted to have the regular family life that everybody kind of says, "This is what I want." And, um, you know, he did. He got sucked back into it because of some decisions that his uh, wife had made. And was she, again, it goes back to this idea that we think there is only one way for things to come about. We get impatient. And when the hand comes out and gives us that immediate fulfillment, we tend to take that rather quickly without really giving the universe time to bring the better gift into our life. Yeah, and I think if you look at him altruistically, the, the debate that I knew I was having when we were filming it was that he 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 can run from all responsibility because he was raised without he was not raised by family. So the idea mm-hmm. of being involved in family is the most frightening thing to him. It's scarier than doing all the violent actions you see depicted that he does in the early part of the film in Iraq. You know, yeah. it, it, to to raise a daughter when when he feels when he was not raised effectively as a child either is the most difficult thing for him to do so so here he is even though the actions he takes are not the type of actions that we we, we tell people to go do mm-hmm. he is trying to and does in the end give the freedom to the daughter and, and the wife through his own sacrifices in the mm-hmm. end that that maybe he feels they deserve you know yeah. but i don't want to give the movie away i'm trying not to talk about a film that a lot of people haven't seen yet and I hope they do. You know? I um, recommend it. I, to, I I am very seldom blown away by a film, but the you know, the ending, unbelievable. You know, you, you really and, and they didn't know each other. Tommy Donahue and D. D. Davis did not know each other in the beginning of the film. Correct? No. But they the only scene that they have together in the film initially is that they there's a confrontation in Iraq where they're like just two people going you know, getting involved in this confrontation for a quarter of a second, and then through deja vu, they 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 reunited back in Iraq. And Tommy seems to notice Didi, but doesn't know where he knows him from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that moment where he, he doesn't put two and two together. It's two soldiers. I don't want to give it away. Who just had this one explosive moment in Iraq, yeah. and then they're reunited again on home front. And again. Part of me, the old part of me, before I, when I was more ignorant, would have thought maybe that's contrived. But the reality is that's really how the world works. You know, yeah. that's how God, God plays things out sometimes. Is that yeah. synchronicity where, where, guess who you're dealing with somewhere down the line, and it's going to be the one that determines the end of your fate too. Is somebody that you might have had contact with, yeah. you know, at, at one of the most important point, turning points of your life, which for Tommy was you know, the Iraq conflict. So. Yeah, yeah. I have to uh, reiterate, and on the uh, first interview we had way back, I was really blown away by the relationship um, that was exhibited through the acting abilities of yourself and uh, the girl that played your daughter. Right. Unbelievable. Maddie, Maddie Jones. Yeah. yeah. yeah and Maddie was, Maddie was an amazing... I mean, this is... You talk about synchronicity and things lining up for this film... 
Sean Kirkpatrick wrote that he wanted like a six-year-old girl who had cerebral palsy. To, he wrote that for the script to to uh, to be the daughter of Tommy Donahue, his, his central character. And then this, you know, beautiful blonde-haired woman with that illness who's nine years old, but yeah. about the size of a six-year-old, comes walking into the audition, and she does work. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but, but as easily as good as like a Dakota Fanning or these people, you know, yeah. and I mean, just a, an incredible performance, you know, flawless performance. And I know people say you have to be very cautious about acting opposite children and animals. I, I yeah. hope I held my own with her because she, you know, what she does in this film is brilliant. And, and, and every Q and a that I went on the festival scene with this film, everybody uh-huh. asks about her, you know, yeah. and she is, she is the most emotionally intelligent little child you'll ever meet. I'll tell you mm-hmm. a funny story. We were we were in a trailer early on in the in the process, and I was way in the zone of this character. But I made sure that Maddie and I had time to spend together, and we got very close because you know it's supposed to be a father daughter relationship, and she is the heart of the film. And I was sitting back there, and and she was talking about you know her father's a famous chef or in Philadelphia, and. She's talking about her favorite meals and all this stuff. And then she turns to me and she says, what nationalities are you, Chris? And I said, well, I'm, I'm Russian and I'm Irish. And she says, mm-hmm. oh, you have, the Irish, you have the Irish temper, which is very good on film, but can be dangerous in life. <laughs> yeah. Nine years old. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have an interesting yeah. relationship in this child. You know? I'm telling so you, some, sometimes you can see the connection between two actors, but it, it, I could really see it and feel the connection between you and her in the film. Yeah, I loved her so much. I really do. I do. I do yeah. love her so it, it much. Was, it was very apparent. Yeah. 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 So, um, and then, you know, Judy Jerome, a lot of the critics were talking about how they, they felt, yeah, this is husband and wife. Well, you know, Judy and I had been studying together in acting classes for 10 years and yeah. did a play of Mark Bukowski's Off-Broadway and she had been saying she wanted to work with me for years. She's one of the better actresses in the actor's studio, you know, and, and uh, it just worked out that I said, Judy, will you please do this audition for me? They're, they're coming in from Philadelphia to do the screen test. And she was like, yeah, I'll do it for you. And, you know, I guess Sean's only out for Judy was just that he thought that she was too, like, upper middle class Manhattan, you know. And I sat with watching this movie with a couple of ex-junkies, and they said, man, where'd they get the street chick to do this film? And I, you know, so I was like, well, hats off to her. Yeah. She created that edge, you know, and, yeah. and just you know, then she she did her job because she's a, she's a very beautiful woman who is um, – you know, uh, very light, very happy. You know, and and to to play the sourpuss she pay, plays in this film, who's as gritty as she is, was definitely a transformation. Mm-hmm. So, all right, uh, we're gonna take another quick break. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit about the other side of the story, the character D. D. Davis, and uh, what he was struggling to achieve once he came back home. Uh, hold tight, we'll be back in a few with Chris Preston and talking about the film Cost of a Soul, now streaming on Netflix. Back in a few.
Are you seeking guidance and clarity in your life? Internationally known psychic medium Sherry Hobson can guide you to a brighter future. Access your Akashic Records revealing soul patterns that will help enable you to change your life or connect to your angelic guidance, spirit guides, or those who have crossed over. Schedule your private session today at 760-521-2027 or at sherryhobson.com. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine is the perfect resource for those seeking a healthy, natural lifestyle. In every free monthly publication, you'll find practical, cutting-edge information on natural health, nutrition, personal growth, green living, creative expression, and more. Find Natural Awakenings wherever free magazines are found. Read it online at rinaturalawakenings.com or call 401-709-2473. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine. Experience the power of being. Join author and intuitive life counselor Ron Ash on an infinite journey of enlightenment. Being explores the various modalities associated with self help and spirituality. Master divine guidance, connect to source energy, and expand your consciousness. For a complete list of our affiliate stations and showtimes, visit beingwithronash.com. Thinking about buying a new or pre-owned vehicle but don't want to go it alone? Contact an automotive buyer's representative instead. R.I. Wheels Buyer's Representatives will save you hundreds or even thousands on your next purchase of a new or pre-owned vehicle. To learn more, email riwheels at aol.com for a free no-obligation consultation. That's riwheels at aol.com. Never drive away thinking you paid too much. Are you interested in promoting yourself, your business, or your platform? If so, you should contact RMA Associates for the most cost-effective ways to promote what you do. RMA has over 25 years of experience helping their clients grow while meeting the challenges of an ever-changing market. Email RMA today at rma.associates at yahoo.com for more information. Again, that's rma.associates at yahoo.com. Do we create our own reality? And if so, what are the dynamics that work behind the perception of that reality? What is the true definition of sin? And why is total self-acceptance crucial to one's evolution? A new paradigm rests on the change that comes through understanding the answers to these questions. The Narrow Gate, a journey through identity, belief, and perception, is Joe Dana's exceptionally thought-provoking narrative, offering this understanding in a passion-filled display of universal law, available through bookstores, Amazon, and www.jpdana.com. Informative, intangible, honest, conductive to elements that align the body, soul, and mind to listen to conscience. Are you aware? InnerCirclePublishing.com Do you have a special gift that you'd like to share with the world? Then consider broadcasting your message on BTRN. The Bean Talk Radio Network is local, national, and international broadcasting with powerful programs that enlighten minds and change lives. BTRN hosts are passionate about purpose, motivating listeners to confidently move forward in the direction of their dreams. To host a show on BTRN, call 401-640-GIFT. Become a part of the Bean Talk Radio Network today and contribute to positive change tomorrow. We are BTRN. The Bean Talk Radio Network.
Learn how to connect with spirit and create the life of your dreams. Purchase the complete Ron Ash collection and save 45% now. Get the Apostle's Recipe for Happiness, Breaking Through, Being, and the Secret of Divine Intervention today for only $30. That's $25 off the retail price. Make your life-expanding purchase today at beingwithronash.wordpress.com. Again, that's beingwithronash.wordpress.com. Being with Ron Ash, we are live and local, national and international on great stations worldwide for a complete listing of our affiliates and showtimes. Visit beingwithronash.com. Talking about cost of a soul. We have Chris Curson joining us today. Hit on some excellent topics. We actually brought together tonight by some divine intervention in play. Love when that happens. We're also talking a lot about the transitions in the film. It was the transition from uh, the war in Iraq to um, back home in the neighborhood slums that the uh, uh, main characters both grew up in and how difficult it was to uh, maintain what they thought they had uh, gotten over. They kind of got sucked back into that again. And, and I want to remind everyone, and if anyone's in the position out there um, listening, to uh, if there is an opportunity for anybody to create some kind of program, whether it's to help these veterans who are coming back home from war and are basically being taken from a highly structured lifestyle and just put into, there you go, thanks a lot, guys, and uh, or coming out of a prison system and being sent out with no skills, no opportunities. They have a record. Now it's very difficult to get a position. They need to be taught how to start their own small businesses. This is the key. This is what's going to stop that revolving door policy. And I mentioned a family uh, member coming back from uh, the service and being in that structured thing that really kind of had too much time on his hands. Uh, You know, no job, no friends anymore. He's older now, and he just kind of fell back into, you know, what he was able to stay away from for many years. So it's really something that we have to consider. It's really something that we have to think about because it ends up costing us huge amounts of money and human souls at the same time. I want to talk a little bit about the other side of the story. We talked about uh, Chris's character, Tommy Donahue, in the film, but we also have the other character, D.D. Davis. Tell us a little bit about what D.D.'s objective was when he first got home. Well, uh, uh, I think D.D. tries to find out exactly where he's going to fit when he comes back home. It's harder Mm -hmm. for me to talk about that part of the story. Just say this before I go into it, just simply because 
uh, my character was so insular in, in, in his lifestyle, you know, that, that that's where my focus was in the film. But yeah. upon, viewing, upon viewing it, I mean, what you see is, uh, you know, Dee Dee comes back and finds out that his brother, who was a small-time drug dealer, mm-hmm. you know, selling nickel dimes of, of weed and stuff like that with him before he went in is now, you know, selling crack cocaine. And he's mm-hmm. got his He's got a younger brother that aspires to do the same thing, and he's got a church-going mother who wants the younger brother not to fall into that life and has, you know, alienated or ostracized the older brother for being in that life. And and Dee Dee, whether he wants to or not, uh, lands on trying to protect the younger brother and somehow getting enmeshed in that world because his whole family becomes involved in that world. And, uh, you know, Dee Dee's also got a creative outlet that he's a talented saxophone player and he's hoping that he can play jazz clubs, uh, yeah. during that, you know, while, 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 uh, while I guess he's pursuing other work. Yeah. And the film really throws him right back into that life to the sense where he's almost just, you know, getting out and, and the older brother grabs him. And I think the older brother assumes that he's just going to want to get in, in mm-hmm. the same style of the, yeah. the older brother, which is, you know, making and selling crack cocaine, and and mm-hmm. uh, and and Dee won't have it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think his situation is he might be the, the the true benevolent protagonist of the film. You don't really see him doing anything harmful to anybody or ever outside of what he says, having you know, sometime maybe selling small time drugs. Mm-hmm. Before going in, before going into the army, um, he, he hasn't, you know, he he hasn't really done anything to get involved in this whole life except for being in the family that he's in and wanting to protect their interests. And uh, and yet, because he has the skills of being a soldier, eventually he's brought in to help his older brother, just for the purposes of getting his family out of that life. You know, and yeah. uh, and his situation becomes pretty unfortunate too. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it all it all happens pretty fast in the film. Yeah. You know, the, the time frame it just it, it appears that way too. You know. Uh, yeah. These guys are here, and then they're in the life, and then again, I, I without people seeing the film, I can't. <laughs> I know you don't want to give. <laughs> But, you know, it's like it, it happens pretty fast. You know, the yeah, Philadelphia yeah. Inquirer, uh, when they were viewing the film, you know, compared Sean to Scorsese, as a matter of fact. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. said it was like a, a flawless debut, basically. Yeah, it and, really was. I loved the whole format of the film. I liked the way it started. It was kind of like the guys were together, then they kind of went in on a bend, almost like a like going around, say, in, say in an oval shape, really. You're starting at one end, and then you're kind of branching out. And then you, you you're coming together at the end. It was phenomenal. There's a there's a funny story I can tell you. I, I when when before the film landed up in the theaters, I was doing an off Broadway play with a, a super talented actress who's now probably in her late seventies, named Rose Gregorio, and Rose Gregorio was nominated for a Tony for the play Shadowbox, and she studied with Lee Strasberg, who's kind of like you know one of the pioneers of the method in the actor studio back in New York, and. She was funny with me. She was saying how bad acting had gotten in, in contemporary films today, and that people don't really understand, um, you know, 
what what the people and the actors in the 70s and the 60s and the 80s were mm-hmm. doing, and that yeah. now it's become such a commercial market, and people's attention span is so slow, and their mm-hmm. their you know their aspirations of what they expect of an actor is so little at this point. It's yeah. a popularity contest as to who mm-hmm. wins the exactly. film. And, and she was talking. Shame. Go ahead. Yeah, it's a shame. I was going to say she she was talking about this to me in my first day of rehearsal. Imagine hearing this because it's just she and I in a two-handed play, and I'm like of this generation she's speaking about. Yeah. And I handed her, which was pretty bold, a copy of Cost of a Soul because her husband was Ula Grossbard. And Ula Grossbard was arguably one of the best directors in terms of the performances of his actors that we had in the 70s and the 80s. You know, he was like a Sidney Lumet with just not as big a body of work, you know, mm-hmm. and... uh and I, I didn't know what the reaction was going to be because she was explaining to me that, that modern day actors don't understand method acting, mm-hmm. and, and she's and she's pretty much putting down the type of performances that are given in films today. Mm-hmm. And she came back like a day or two later with the film and said that the film was the acting was on the level of what she had seen during her day. And this is somebody who worked opposite Dustin yeah. Hoffman, yeah. Robert Duvall, Robert De Niro. Her husband directed Al Pacino, Jennifer Jason Leigh. And 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 then went on to say, which was, you know, I don't want to be too much to my own horn, but she said, you would be called a real method actor today. Yeah, I'm yeah. telling you, and I don't give compliments unless they're duly deserved. I was blown away by your performance. There was something about it that really resonated with me. Um, I, I, I think I think that that's the thing is the values of definitely the Irish side of the family, myself, Mark, and Judy. Have been placed, you know, with them at the actor studio and people like Marcia Halfrecht, and for me, people like Charlie Lott and Elizabeth Kemp, Marcia Halfrecht. Exactly. These teachers kind of taught certain values that, uh, unfortunately, the way the industry is, that, you know, it, it comes down to numbers as to who gets yeah. cast in films and what their last credit was and this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But these, yeah. we've been working in these trenches environment trying to do work with a level of truth and stuff like that that might not always be there in mm-hmm. bigger budgeted films. And in a low-budget environment, Sean was, you know, astute enough and a, a great director, and he allowed us to really give in the performances we've been doing and training to do for years in an environment where nobody was demanding results or saying, you know, for Hollywood's sake, we've got to do this, 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 mm-hmm. and this. And yeah. I think that's why the performances come off, for lack of a better word, yeah. is, is pretty real. Yeah, yeah. Pretty real. So. You, know, you, you know, you really hit something there, too, because all of this, has contributed to the stunting of the evolution of film because everybody's kind of on this cookie cutter program. We got to do it this way. This is how we're going to get this. And now we have Barbara Walters said it in an interview with the Kardashians. She said, "But you guys really have no talent. You don't act. You don't sing. You don't dance. Yet when you go to the, the world, supermarket, the world what is do you celebrity see? now? Yeah, it's changed. Yeah, the world it, it, celebrity. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean you." You didn't see you didn't see Robert De Niro, I don't think, or Al Pacino doing publicity things when their films were coming out in the seventies. No. And anything when they were casting Serpico, which was one of you know Pacino's earlier and better works, they they wanted the entire cast to be unknowns. Yeah, yeah. They didn't want to detract from the story. Yeah. And, and nowadays, one of the biggest difficulties Cost of Soul initially had selling was that there was nobody that was a star in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was like everyone's like, well, it would have been great if you had like you know, uh, Channing Tatum playing my part or something like that, but that wasn't the case. And yeah. and I think because there were no, like, star egos involved in it, you, uh-huh. you have the performances that you have. You know, they, they, Sean dealt with that. You know, the fact that the distributors were all saying, you know, you need 
names in your movie, and you, you got to yeah. get names in your movie, you know. And some of the, I don't know. I mean, I have a strong opinion about that. Maybe I won't go too much into it, but some of the people we put in our movies because we need a name. Yeah. You know, it, we're promoting like just something that's false. Yeah. You know, a lot of times, and yeah, yeah. when you get when you get desperate, hungry stage actors who've lived in this element of like trying to bring truth to the work for a long time, and they're mm-hmm. given in an environment to flourish. I think that that sometimes threw some of the critics that saw it. Some of the critics loved it, and some of the critics had a tough time with it because it was so atypical of what they were used to at that point because we've come to accept it. I'll use your words, just kind of cookie-cutter acceptance of what yeah. acting is. Yeah. And, 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 and it can be so much more than that. And the irony of this is occasionally when we get these actors to show us what was the norm in the 70s or the 80s or really pushed in the 70s and the 80s, mm-hmm. Those are the people we hold up and say, God, you know, why why don't we have more people like that? Those are the people yeah. we're giving Oscars to nowadays. You know, yeah. it's I, it's 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 the values have changed, unfortunately. I see so much stuff with so much potential, and it's nothing against that the actors are bad, but they're going by this one, that one, and this one, and, and sometimes that combination isn't right. The chemistry is just not there. Look at uh, television shows like Seinfeld. They tried to take those people and put them in different situations. It only really worked when they were all together, the four of them. Yeah, it, it, it was the chemistry. I think. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the chemistry and the relationships are very different when you have movie stars that don't know each other working together, and they're, mm-hmm. they, you know, they have ten million dollar paychecks, and they're stepping on the set with another person with ten million dollar paychecks. It's like, yeah. well, how do you get them to all of a sudden become regular people and not give performances? We've mm-hmm. come to accept and say, well, yeah. that's interesting, you know. But it, it, it's not on the level of what, you know, uh, Dog Day Afternoon or, yeah. or these films. They were like almost like documentaries that were made, yeah. you know, at, at one time. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and, and I think the teachers that I had really pushed that if I ever caught the break and, the, and God willing, maybe Cost of the Soul was the start of one, mm-hmm. to try to bring bring that level of work out, you know, in these environments, you know, yeah. and and and, and and not lose sight of that. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got a little giggle here because I'm thinking back to Florida. You know, you next gave me the uh, film. I viewed the film. Um, right. Now I'm in a position where I never thought I was going to be in. I was rushing the film back to you so you can get it over to Al Pacino, and I got to thank you for that yeah, experience. Yeah, well... We are, we are, somebody's got to like put it in Al's DVD player and say, "Okay, Al, please, can you sit for two hours and watch this?" And the other reason, oh, the other thing with Al Pacino, God willing, is you know I studied with his mentor, so they were thinking the connection would be there. Yeah, what yeah. An, what, an, what an incredible honor would that would be to yeah. have? You know, yeah, really. You would, and I, I you know I haven't followed up to see where we were at with that, but uh-huh. I, I know. Well, I'll I tell know you what, that, I have an eye for it. And I'm sure he does. I'm certain of it. And and if not the film itself, your acting ability is going to shine right through. I appreciate that. No, Charlie Lawton, who's his mentor, you know, who's you know pretty much at the end of his life now. Uh, I I had the director send a festival cut of the film to Charlie to see because he's got MS and he's bedridden. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And Char- Charlie talked about how strong he felt the acting was in the film too. Mm-hmm. Really nice, nice yeah. to hear. Yeah. yeah. So. Hey, let's take a phone call. We have uh, Christine from Alexandria, uh, Virginia. I'd like to ask you a question, if that's okay. Hi, Christine. Welcome to Being with Ron Ash. Uh, hi. Thank you so much. Um, 
I did watch Cost of the Soul, and I was highly impressed uh, with your performance, Chris. Um, I had one question um, that I wanted to ask. Since it, it was so raw and, and real, the performance, um, what pieces of Tommy's character are coming from the real Chris? Wow, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I think Tommy Donahue showed me who who I could be under heroic circumstances if I was allowed to be under heroic circumstances. I think that uh, uh, whether it was taking it on or the, the darkness he has is a part of me, but it's something that, that w- would never be allowed to manifest in life, so to have an environment to go with it. I think what I brought to the character that was unusual that people didn't expect was the love of the daughter. Um, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was I was uh, very much in love and uh, and aware of that energy so much so that that caring and nurturing quality that 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 I wanted to have come across with the daughter relationship. Uh, I think watching the interactions between myself and my wife would be very similar to me in the sense that some people found them kind of funny uh, in, in the sense that the wife had the upper hand uh, in it. You know, she she was the one giving the order. She was like the lioness and the lion thing, doing everything, you know. Um, uh, I don't, I, you know, uh, I think at earlier points in my life, because my life has transitioned a lot, there there. I was trained as a martial artist in violence and around very violent environments at times, so I was comfortable with that aspect of the film as well. Um, Interesting. Uh, Was there a scene that you enjoyed so much that you would love to do again? If you could do it over? Uh, A A favorite scene. scene. What was your favorite scene? My favorite scene, my well, my two favorite scenes in the movie both happened to be with my daughter. One was playing Legos with her, which happens, you know, about two thirds of the way through the yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, I love that because it shows this arc that he's let his guard yeah. down, and it was the easiest scene because I wasn't carrying all this stuff. And I remember all the crew was setting up around me, and Maddie and I were just sitting there mm-hmm. playing Legos. And I even improvised with her. I said something about the unemployment office when she was trying to have me guess what she was making, you know. Mm-hmm. It was just it was very very typical of the type of humor that I have and and just what I would love to do with my life, which is have a little girl like that to play with, you know. I think the other scene that made me want to do the film was the hyperbaric chamber scene where she corners Tommy, so to speak, and says, Do you love me? And those are words he's never used and you're watching him for the very first time yeah. tell this child who's so pure to him and is dependent on him that yes he does. That was coming from as real a place as I think I could ever come at the time. I mean, you know, I I'd like to do more scenes like the the, the brief sex scene with me and Judy Jerome too. Because uh that was so that was so that was so passionate. That was awesome. and, and, yeah, thank you. But I I, uh, I think that, uh, uh, and also because for so long I have been cast in, in darker roles and, and roles that got away from relationships, I wanted to show people that type of connection, you know, very quickly. Um, the, the, the daughter and the wife were the aspects of the film that really made me want to do the film. The violence... People who've seen work of mine in prior films would probably think, well, yeah, Chris can do the violence, 
you know. But mm-hmm. but those relationships were really what drew me to the film, and 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 I and I thought I had something to say about, you know, I had, I had something to say about. So yeah. does that answer your question? Yes. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Okay, so it's available on Netflix, but now you can stream. What is that all about exactly? I'm not familiar with Netflix at all. It sounds like a fantastic well, well, program. Well, 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 Netflix, Netflix, I guess is I would think is the the DVD rental site now, especially now that all the blockbusters across the country are closed. Yeah. And 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 people can order the DVD, but the thing that's become so fashionable in the last few years is to stream the film, you know, which okay. means that on a computer or your computer can be hooked up to cable or the TV, and then you can just play the film as is whenever you want to watch it on Netflix. So mm-hmm. anybody that has a subscription to Netflix can now watch the film very easily. And that was the thing business people told me is that, you know, the theatrical premiere, which was in, you know, 50 theaters and I guess 20 cities across the country, that was one thing, but audiences over a week, you're going to get a certain amount of audience, but the fact mm-hmm. that now it'll be on Netflix to be streamed means that it's going to hit a much wider audience and, and it'll be much more accessible for people to see. Yeah, yeah. I definitely want to watch it again, and I think I'm going to sign up for Netflix, and I'm going to uh, make that my first film from no, I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> you, Ron. Thank you. Yeah. Um, cost of a Soul. Um, what would you want the... Uh, audience to really take away from this film well I, I i think that i think the most remarkable thing about cost of the soul is that a that a director like sean kirkpatrick who had no money put eighty five thousand dollars on credit cards yeah made a hundred thousand dollar movie some of the actors we've mentioned make more than that a day mm-hmm. and uh and 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 made a feature that landed up in the theaters and it was not like your stereotypical hundred thousand dollar movie where it's like two people sitting around in a coffee shop in New York City and they're reminiscing about the time that they had in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it, it, it's it's a film that has, you know, action and, and violence and uh, it's complicated. Yeah. And he made it for a he made it for $100,000, which is remarkable, you know. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he got a bunch of actors who, God willing or not, might never become stars who, you know, were super talented people what they do and honing their crafts for years and he gave them an environment to, to play at their best and bring this story to life in a way that that I don't think a, a, a lot of the films nowadays today don't get the opportunity to do you know somebody yeah. somebody who works somebody I don't like to draw comparisons it's a, it's a dangerous thing in this business because it'll set mm-hmm. people up to expectations but yeah there was somebody there was somebody who saw the film that said that the acting and they're they're in touch with tens of thousands of people in the business, and they said the acting was on the level of the fighter yeah. in that film. Yeah. Now the fighter, with the promotion it gets and the people that are in it, you know, is going to get nominated for Oscars. Mm-hmm. A little hundred thousand dollar movie with with fighting with movie with acting, excuse me, that's on that level, you know, at least it got raised up enough to say, well, we're going to give it as wide a distribution as we've ever done a film with this this budget before. You know, mm-hmm. so it's remarkable. It, it opens up a lot for the potential for independent film because, you know, little budget films now have the potential maybe to be shown in theaters. You yeah. know, and I think if, if if a lot of people stream the film on Netflix, it'll show that there's an audience for this. That yeah. people want want to see these underdog films 
see the light of day and, and not everything have to have mm-hmm. major movie stars and, and whatnot. Yeah. Them, you know? mm-hmm. It's really bringing the power back to the people. There's, there's no longer this handful of people calling the shots. You can see it just on YouTube alone, how many people view things on YouTube now. Now it is really about the people. Even when you look at programming like The X Factor and uh, American Idol and things like this, it's the same type of people are voting on it. People are saying, this is what we want. We're tired of a handful of people saying, no, this is what you want. You want what we think you want. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that it, it makes it makes film more accessible to other mm-hmm. people because Sean went to the studios with this script and, you know, he, he, he didn't have any nepotism or contacts in Hollywood. Yeah. So how was he going to get his film made? Well, how was he going to mm-hmm. make it, get it made? Put every dime he had and every sense of credit he had into this film to get it shot. And, and then later on, God bless him for having it happen because more often than not, yeah. it never does. But the studio took on the film after the fact. You know, but yeah. he risked he risked so much to do this. I, it's yeah. quite a feat to shoot a yeah. film in 19 days. You but know? you know something? When you feel it in your heart and you know it's going to happen, you will do it. I started my business on like ten thousand dollars that I had and ten thousand dollars that I borrowed. It got to the point as it grew. I decided I did the same thing. I said I could see the opportunity. I know what I need to do. I need a volume of merchandise. I need to buy right. And I did the same thing. I probably charged up about eighty thousand dollars in credit card bills to make that happen, mm-hmm. and to purchase a building to boot with that money. Yeah, I, I used thirty day, sixty day, and ninety day accounts to get the funding that I needed. You know, I told my people, I said, sell stuff that we are we have on account. You know, push that stuff, and they did, and that made um, liquidity. I had the money I needed to put the down payments down to. Uh, get the merchandise in and all that stuff when you really believe in it. And I have to say, it's not only in what we're talking about with the uh, film industry and things like that. In the publishing industry, it's the same. I'm a writer. I write books. I hear from people, wow, the, your books are fantastic. Really changed my life. But one of, and I'm not going to say his name, he's a very well-known literary agent. His family's been in the publishing business for many years. He says, Ron, there's a better chance for a well-known person to get a book published by a major publisher than it is for an unknown who is a fantastic writer who whose abilities could not be rivaled in this time or any other to get their book published. Snooki has a better chance at, at being a New York Times bestselling author than than the next Shakespeare. Yeah, I, I think I think the thing the thing about the Sean in particular is that he's so mindful. I mean he mm-hmm. You're talking about a 24-year-old kid, you know. I mean, I don't want to call him a kid. He was a young man, but he, 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 he could see through probably mm-hmm. not always the best auditions that were put in front of him to say, this person has the potential to become this part, and I'm going to go this way and cast them, and work so well at, at this environment. Every, I mean, he deserves, and, and when Relativity pushed the film, they really pushed him, and mm-hmm. he deserved it because... Yeah. You know, he he did something remarkable. He he had strategized this film down to the last detail mm-hmm. so that it could be made in 19 days, edited within three months, and yeah. in the running for all these festivals and have a theatrical re- release in a short period of time. And he had a lot of people tell him, yeah. including me, I'm I'm gu- I'm guilty of this too, saying, you know what, take that DVD deal, take that cable deal. Mm-hmm. It's, films like us don't land up in the theaters no matter how good they are. So, 
you know, please accept it. Let's walk, let's get, you know, some viewers and move on. And Sean was like, no, 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 no. no. This film's going to land up in the theaters. Yeah. I'm and, telling and you, he was the, spirit he was is the behind first. it, too. Yeah, spirit is behind yeah. it. I mean, perfect example, the synchronicities, how we ended up here tonight doing this show. That neither one of us expected. We promoted the show and put this thing together. What, like an, an hour and five minutes before it started? Oh, yeah, exactly. I, text, I texted, I'm a part of a, a, a great theater group in New York called the oh, Indies gosh. Lab, and I texted half a dozen people in the Indies Lab saying, I'm on this show right now, and I, I you know, I, I was hoping that they'd get a chance to check in yeah. and see yeah. what's up, because that group was so supportive to to uh, the initial release of this film, too. It had been kind of my home in New York, and where I'm trying to take the work that Charlie and Marsh and these people taught me and bring it to them is, you know, keep create an environment where we're aspiring to do work mm-hmm. that can inspire people in films like, you know, yeah. off the so, so Yeah. All right. Chris Curson, uh who plays Tommy Donahue in the film Cost of a Soul. You connect can connect with Chris and uh Cost of a Soul at being with Ron dot com. And what's the website, Chris? Well, Cost of a Soul's web, web, website is costofasoul.com. If you go to costofasoul.com, you'll, you'll find it, P-O-S-T-O-F-A-S-O-U-L.com. My website is Chris, C-H-R-I-S, Kerson, K-E-R-S-O-N.com. And then the way to see the film now, the best way probably, I mean, you can see it on, on demand, iTunes mm-hmm. and Amazon, but you'll have to pay for it. But people who have Netflix can now stream the movie on Netflix. All right, awesome. And um, as always, you can connect to all of our guests, past, present, and future, at beingwithronash.com. That's beingwithronash.com. We'll have a link up also, uh, uh, link into the film Cost of a Soul, highly recommended by me. Gotta watch it. We'll see you on the radio real soon. Be peace, everyone. and intuitive life counselor Ron Ash on an infinite journey of enlightenment. Being explores the various modalities associated with self-help and spirituality. Master divine guidance. Connect to source energy and expand your consciousness. For a complete list of our affiliate stations and showtimes, visit beingwithronash.com. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine is the perfect resource for those seeking a healthy, natural lifestyle. In every free monthly publication, you'll find practical, cutting-edge information on natural health, nutrition, personal growth, green living, creative expression, and more. Find Natural Awakenings wherever free magazines are found. Read it online at rinaturalawakenings.com or call 401-709-2473. Feel good, live simply, laugh more. Rhode Island Natural Awakenings Magazine.
Do we create our own reality? And if so, what are the dynamics that work behind the perception of that reality? What is the true definition of sin? And why is total self-acceptance crucial to one's evolution? A new paradigm rests on the change that comes through understanding the answers to these questions. The Narrow Gate, a journey through identity, belief, and perception, is Joe Dana's exceptionally thought-provoking narrative offering this understanding in a passion-filled display of universal law. Available through bookstores, Amazon, and www.jpdana.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Promotion valid for first night only. Winter's coming, which means higher heating bills. Here's the thing. If your monthly heating bill is bigger than it should be, it's probably your windows. Seriously, older windows that are warping, rotting, or cracking are literally taking cash right out of your wallet. Stop wasting your money and replace those old windows with Renewal by Anderson's top quality, energy-efficient windows. Just go to replacementbyrenewal.com today. With their 100% full-service process, Renewal by Anderson makes replacing your windows easy. Over half a million happy customers Customers can't be wrong. So don't spend another winter letting your old windows waste more of your hard-earned cash. Just go to replacementbyrenewal.com and schedule your free consultation on top quality made-to-order energy-efficient windows and patio doors from Renewal by Anderson. Plus, right now, buy one window or door and get one 50% off with $0 down, zero payments, and zero interest for a full year. So don't wait. Go to replacementbyrenewal.com and schedule your free consultation online today with Renewal by Anderson. Go to replacementbyrenewal.com. That's replacementbyrenewal.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.